the Business and Leadership Podcast with Jared Graybeal. Hey guys, welcome back to the Business and Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Jared Graybeal. And on today's episode, we have Rod Reason. Rod is the co-founder and CEO of Springbuck, a health intelligence platform with a vision to prevent disease with data. Prior to launching Springbuck, Rod founded and scaled a benefits and wellness consulting firm into one of the largest in the Midwest. Also back in 2009, he launched the nationally recognized Healthiest Employers Award program designed to recognize the top healthiest places uh, to work in America. Rod's passion in his professional life is finding creative and innovative ways to help organizations improve their employees' health outcomes. Um, Rod, thanks for being on the show, man. Well, thanks, Jared, for having me. Love the work that you're doing. Uh, great speakers, great topics. Uh, excited to be on. Likewise, man. And I'm excited to learn about this uh, because if I'm being honest, and I think, a, I think a portion of the audience would agree, when I hear health benefits and wellness, um, I'm not particularly excited. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a market that's ripe for innovation and disruption. Um, not that you need to make it exciting, but it, I, I would agree that a lot of change needs to take place in order to, to make people in the workplace healthier and to encourage them to get healthier, right? Um, as someone who built a, a meal prep company over the past six years, workplace wellness is really, really big to me. But the challenge has always been, how do we make healthy eating like sexy and attractive, you know? Um, <laughs> so I'm excited to hear how you're doing that or, or attempting to do that. Um so, Rod, let's start with this. What's your short story? And when I say that, I know it's a loaded question, but maybe in two, three minutes, how did you get to where you are today? Okay, yes, it is a loaded question anytime you ask someone to tell their story um, and in less than two minutes. So I'll, I'll do the, uh, the whole timer here. We'll, we'll give you the quick one, and uh, we, can go, we can expound from there. But um, I, I grew up in Marion, Indiana. My, my parents were blue collar workers, uh, bought my first mutual fund, uh, when I was 13, my dad helped me start, uh, turning cars, um, as an entrepreneur. So it was something I really became familiar with the whole buying low, selling high, the whole marketing distribution, just everything that goes with being an entrepreneur. I'm just working on cars, but had a fascination with the investment space. I went off to college, ended up, um, you know, graduating from school and starting out in the financial planning space and enjoyed it, uh, brought customers on, enjoyed the, the personal journey of helping people plan for the future and doing it uh, with honesty and integrity. And uh, that led to this moment in time, as I kind of share, where I was sitting down with one of my larger financial planning customers and they said, hey, Rod, um, we're not going to be able to invest as much this year. Um, and the primary reason is this health insurance stuff is killing the business, and we just keep getting these stupid high renewals. And because of it, we're we can't make as much investment. And then just off the cuff, the customer said, "Hey, you should take a look at that." And I said, "Heck no, I'm not an insurance guy. Nobody you know sets out to jump into the insurance industry. I don't think." Um, and I made this you know kind of cocky comment that you know I'm a financial advisor, not an insurance agent. And he said, "No, seriously, you. I love what you do there." Can you just take a look at it? So that sent me down this path of just investigating that industry and taking a, a more planning approach to what these businesses were doing 
And that opened up this foray into, hey, there's a problem with the way that um, healthcare benefits, the, the whole arena is adopting um, just the purchasing and all that. And this was in the early 2000s. So we're not even talking modern and technology driven, really just the process the way, um, to the, the way the decisions were being made. So fast forward, uh, um, decided to jump in that space, kept my financial planning practice, launched a benefit brokerage consulting firm, grew it to be one of the largest in the state of Indiana um, with a fee-based planning approach. And that taught me the industry, that there was this buying process that employers would go through. Uh, but they would make decisions that would be trickled down into you and I as employees around you know benefit enrollments, your plan design, the, the, the plan that you would have as, uh, as an employee. And really started to see that technology could um, have a much better uh, influence in how that moment in time these employers are making decisions. So 2013 started to ideate on launching this technology company to really solve that problem, launched the business in 2015, and now Springbok serves nearly 4,000 employers nationwide, um, and we're helping ultimately prevent disease with data because we're bringing better decisions at the foray that that moment in time when employers are trying to make decisions. So I'll pause there. That's great. Um, and so when did you start Springbuck again, 2013? So 13, we started to ideate, uh, 14, we started to build out, uh, you know, an MVP and 15, we launched the company. Awesome. And since then, uh, or now, as of now, you serve over 4,000 employers. Um, how many employees does Springbuck have at this point? We're about 120 people nationwide. Wow. Okay. And the, uh, you know, I read recently, um, this was, I think, a couple of years ago, but you had your, was it a Series A or a Series B of close to 25 million? We've so to date we've raised forty five million dollars of venture capital over uh, you know, our Series A, B, and C, um, which we we completed our Series C um, in two thousand uh, fall of two thousand nineteen is when we completed that round. Gotcha. And these venture capitalists, would you say that they're primarily interested in your company um, because of the tech uh, part of it, or is there something else? Um, you know, I think at the heart of venture capital, it's like any investment that you and I make in individual stocks. You're looking for an organization that has a good idea, a good team, and a good market, and ultimately that you can make a good return. You 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 don't invest in just ideas. You're investing in um, something that can make money, but you know, intuitively, I think you and I as human beings, we want to believe that we're making an investment in good. Um, you know, there are certainly those that uh, will make investments in, in things that may be in gray areas. But I think at the heart, people like to know that the mission behind an organization is one that's pure, that's helping all of humanity, yada, yada. Um, so, you know, what what we I, I, I suppose one of the differentiations in an investment in healthcare is that you ultimately are striving to make the, the human better through better technology and investment. So I think it's a, it's a complete package. It's not just that you can make a buck, but it is, uh, you know, the, the, the mission behind the organization that's uh, impactful. 
That's awesome. And where'd you get the name Spring Buck? <laughs> um, so in 2012, uh, 2010, I had sold the brokerage firm. 2011, my wife and I, with our two oldest daughters, who were eight and 10 at the time, we went to Africa. And uh, we had been supporting a, a missionary friend of ours that was in Zambia. And so we took a, a small safari, a couple days of safari, went up through um, uh, Zimbabwe and then Zambia. We were in Botswana for the safari. And we had seen these animals, um, you know, th through safari. And the springbuck was one of the animals that we saw. And we just thought, you know, no big deal. It didn't really come to mind as something that we remembered, per se. But uh, fast forward into the naming convention, as everybody sets out to do as entrepreneurs, you sit down and you say, I've got a great idea. Now I got to name this thing. And you can be very simple in your naming. Um, everybody goes and looks for the URL that they want to own. And uh, we looked at color palettes and animals and, you know, fictional things. And it, 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 you know, you just go through the scenario. I can, you know, just imagine you're probably smiling because you, you, it's, it's what we do as entrepreneurs. You try to think about the name. And uh, I said, hey, you know, there's, we wanted to be, we started to define, you know, what's the definition of who we want to be. And we said, we want to be fun. We want to be agile. We want to be intuitive. Uh, we want to be fast. Um, so things that would define the, not the values of the business, but would define the business and how we go to market. And, and then the springbuck just came to mind. I said, you know, there's this animal. It's only found in three, three countries in the world. It's one of the fastest animals in the world. They uh, jump, 60, uh, jump 18 feet in the air, can run 62 miles an hour. They're fun, agile, and that's more of who we are. So um, Springbuck is spelled with an O, and uh, we started looking for URLs that we could own. We could own the Springbuck with a UK, and so thus the name was born, Springbuck. Love it. Love, I love those uh, origin stories for names as well. Um, so can you explain to me, but also to the audience that isn't super familiar with healthcare, healthcare data, how the, how the business operates, um, how it helps people practically. Can you explain what exactly does Springbuck do? Like what, you know, start. To <laughs> yeah, this is like unpacking, uh, for, for a non healthcare or tech oriented audience, unpacking, two very, very complex industries, and I'll say three very complex industries uh, because you kind of have a third one here. Um, the, the three industries are healthcare. So, you know, get anyone to explain how healthcare is commercialized and the economic engine behind it, plus the care, um, and you will have a very, very long dinner conversation. Um, you mix in there insurance, um, which, you know, again, confusing people avoid insurance because it's just tough to understand. Um, deductibles, copays, and all that. Um, and then third, you mix in technology um, and software. And so you got this intersection of massive complexity among three different uh, areas. And you munge them together and say, okay, go start a business. And and now, now you want me to explain what we do in those three very complex um, sectors in the matter of seconds. So I'll, I'll try to keep this as simple as possible and say that and kind of share our point of view um, and keep this type and interrupt me if I go too long. But uh, in the United States, healthcare sits on two separate sides. You have buyers of healthcare and you have deliverers of healthcare. So as a consumer, you can think about delivery of healthcare is I'm sick, I go get care. And that's traditionally in the form of a um, office visit with a physician 
or in a hospital room um, in form of a surgery or an ER. Um, modern technology has brought telemedicine. So we have this new paradigm and COVID has really pushed out telemedicine as a new vertical or, or avenue to achieve access to care. But that's the access or care delivery. The finance piece of this is a piece that starts to get incredibly complex because most of us consumers don't understand the, the financial engine behind it. The majority of healthcare in the United States is, is paid for by either employers or the government in the form of Medicare, Medicaid, and indigent population. So in those two areas, you have buyers and sellers. That that's kind of the, the broad market. You have buyers and deliverers of healthcare. When you come down, the buyers and, and the deliverers want to be able to engage effectively. But it is a very, if I, show, if I showed you a roadmap here um, or this point of view picture, you'd see a very, very complex intersection of how this all happens. That's why it, it's complex. It's, it's, there's no uniformity in it like purchasing a product. It's a very complex purchase. So what Springbuck does is we live in between. We live on the buyer and the deliverer side so that the buyer can make the best possible purchase when they're thinking about the population as a whole. So as an employer, you care about your people, you want to invest in those people, you want the highest productivity in those people, and you, 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 you know, intuitively, you just, you care for them, that the, the care word is very important because it's an investment you're making in your people. So you want to make sure that that investment is the best possible one. We help you make that best decision. Then you hand that investment off to those that are in the delivery side of care, and they want to deliver care in the best and most efficient fashion. So we're the glue that sticks between to help make that buying and the delivery the most efficient and effective possible. Wow. Okay. So <clears throat> when you explain that, I almost, and this could be, this could be far off, but I picture almost like a map. Um, you know, and my house is, is right here. You can see me in the video. And then the, my destination, we'll just say, is a mile away. Um, and the way that em employees or the way that users and deliverers are operating is basically they're walking the long way. And you're, you're sort of like becoming this. You're not only showing people a shortcut, but you're driving them there. Um, so it's like you're making the map to... I guess the connection between the users and the deliverers or the, the buyers and the sellers um, much easier. Would you say that? Like you're making the connection between employees and their health organizations better? So absolutely. And think, Jared, think about an analogy in most purchases that you and I make today versus even just 10 years ago. 10 years ago, if you wanted to let's say 15 years ago, pre-internet um, and, and really full compounded internet that we see today, 15, 16 years ago, if you were going to go make a purchase of a product, a car, a television, um, something even more complex, um, you had to do quite a bit of research and it would create, you would need to do foot research on your own. You couldn't just jump online and look at in a, a specific model number um, of a, a vehicle with all the same features or a, a TV and make an educated purchase of both the value that you're using for that investment plus um, any other ratings in the marketplace. Um, unfortunately, healthcare is not quite that simple. And um, as uh, uh, Kevin O'Leary actually says on Shark Tank, one of the, the, there are multiple times in our, 
in our lives when we make purchases that are less rational. And when you are sick or a loved one is sick or, or if you're in an emergency situation, your decision around your purchase is not rational, period. It's just not rational. You're going to look for the fastest, um, quickest way to solve that pain point um, in care, and you'll figure out who pays for it later. So you you have two um, problems in healthcare. One, the deficiency of information to make good decisions and the irrationality around that purchase. And so that creates a lot of tension that we hear about in healthcare in general. Um, The third, I'd say, is that there's really very little interest in the parties that deliver care to create transparency because they're making money hand over fist in the way that they deliver it today. So you have to create a forcing function in some form of technology solution to be able to level the playing field or make it easier. And that's what the internet has done for you and I when it comes to products, right? I mean, it's easier now to buy a product and feel like you've made a good purchase because solutions like Amazon and others have made that that consumerism experience much more um, easy. So, it, you know, broadly speaking, and this is maybe too soapboxy, but you know, broadly speaking, all of those paradigms exist from a technology. Why not bring that same level of technology to healthcare? In essence, that's what we're trying to do. We're just one small piece in this massive, massive engine um, or, or, or marketplace, but um, we do think we can affect change here. That's awesome. You're, so let's assume Springbuck is, continues to be sex, successful over the long term. And we've talked about changing, disruption, innovation. Typically, when those things take place, uh, some other company or organization or space entirely is hurt by it. Um, so who would you say, if, if Springbuck goes up, who comes down? Um, I would say that it's a shift. So um, maybe there, there are a couple pieces that I do not think will change. For, for instance, insurance in healthcare is a necessity because it spreads risk and it makes um, expensive care affordable to all Americans. So I don't think the insurance piece goes away. Um, I also obviously don't think that doctors and hospitals go away because you need someone that can you know, do the surgery. But there's going to be innovations in both sides. The efficiency of insurance becomes easier as you have more data to predict where the conditions are going to exist. And so lots of innovation will happen on the insurance side of it. That's the financial component. And on the delivery side, um, obviously, I mean, there are robots now that are replacing, quote unquote, if you want to say, you know, loss of jobs. I mean, there are robots that can do certain jobs. One example I'll give is one of the transitions that we're watching with what COVID has done. Um, We we track all this data, of course, and we saw that uh, elective surgeries declined um, precipitously after COVID, call it March, April, people stopped having elective surgeries. So there was all this pent up um, uh, elective surgery that got pushed to this year. The other thing that happened is that uh, primary care physician uh, visits, um, just your normal um, preventative maintenance on your human being, um, that preventative care visit declined precipitously also because we couldn't go to the doctor. But what skyrocketed was that same visit in the form of a telemedicine visit. So technology just shifted how it didn't shift the what. The doctor visit was still happening, but now it was happening 
through technology versus that face-to-face visit. So one of the things I love about tech in general is that it creates efficiency. And capitalism at its finest, I mean, there are negative negative things about capitalism, but the, the real good thing about capitalism is it creates efficiency in a market. So technology, there's no question that in a $3 trillion market spend, which is what healthcare is in the United States, 3 to $4, $4 trillion, there is opportunity for efficiency to be gained. So I, I don't know if that's too broad and ethereal, but I don't know that there's necessarily a lot of loss. I think it's truly innovation that happens across the across sector. I would agree. I think there's a ton of efficiency that could take place. And this may not be relevant, but today I had to see a surgeon about my shoulder. And I sat in one waiting room <laughs> and gave them my information. And then they took me to another waiting room in which I gave a different person similar information. And then I saw the doctor in a different room. And then I had to go to a different place to check out, which was basically me giving information once again. <laughs> so um, it was it was really inefficient. Uh, so I think in, in many ways that can change. Um, let's talk, talk pivot a little bit because you started in 2019 the Healthiest Employers Award. Um, what is a quote unquote healthy workplace to you? So so the award was. Uh, launched in 2009, just so that we get the dates there. Um, and the idea behind that was similar to this overall overarching conversation. What we were watching was employers nationally were investing in some form of population health or wellness initiative. This idea that, hey, let's, we get that there's a, a logical tie between an investment in the, in the human being and productivity in the workforce, and that you and I as human beings are most aligned with our employer in that when I'm healthy, the employer is rewarded, and so am I personally. When I'm sick, the employer is penalized, and so am I personally. No other entity in the healthcare ecosystem, the physicians, the insurance company, are as aligned as the employee and the employer. So with that in mind, what are companies doing that is working? Instead of all this... uh, Pray or spray and pray um, idea around population health or corporate wellness. What if we could put on a pedestal the companies that are doing the best things and share those stories nationally so you could have some efficiency in the delivery of pop health? So that was this idea. And we decided to launch an award because what gets people attracted, then being able to have an opportunity to showcase what they're doing and pat their chest and say, look at what we did. And so the award was created out of, out of that idea of putting on a pedestal awesome companies that are doing great things and to share their successes so others could replicate that success nationally. Okay. And so what kind of data are you tracking? You know, the vision for Springbok, for example, is to prevent disease with data. What what data are you tracking in order to help prevent disease or to identify a place as a healthy workplace? Yeah, so that's really the prevent disease with data is uh, very missional. And what we started to glean out of out of all of these award programs was there's a, a lot of repetition that happens um, through uh, programming with very little data that was being tracked on the back end, with the exception of participation. And we thought, man, that's that's really sad. And again, you got to date this back to 2009, 2010. This isn't today. And employers were equally frustrated because they wanted to see if I make this investment of just time, forget the financial investment, 
is it actually working? So we track our system today consumes virtually any information that's uh, available, uh, medical claims, pharmacy data, uh, biometric, um, you name it, with the idea of being able to use modern, sophisticated predictive modeling, machine learning, AI, to say, hey, Jared, um, we noticed that uh, you're having multiple visits to the orthopedic surgeon here, um, and or, or whatever, um, is there a way to start to predict the health of the overall population and to engage sooner? Um, it's, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to go on a soapbox here for a minute, but we, we've, we grew up in an era of watching sci-fi and Star Trek and you'd see, you know, on Star Trek, this little wand go over the body and all of a sudden they could tell you specifically what was going on with that, with that person. Um, there, there are tech companies that are working on that technology. Um, I don't think that there is a, I, I, I believe that there is a world where technology is very helpful to the human experience. Um, it certainly can be used inappropriately, but I believe very altruistically that, you know, you build tech for good and when you're doing good, um, it ultimately showcases itself. So, yeah, I agree entirely. And so um, how can business leaders improve their employees' health outcomes? What is like one of the most common or generally applicable ways you've seen this across the board? Like how, how, to, how to help make that happen on the, on the business? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, just listening to some of your, your podcasts and what you, you speak on around nutrition, um, I think from, a, from an employer perspective, the first thing you need to do is just care. Um, th this population that you have working for you aren't just robots. And, and if they were robots or just machines, you'd be doing preventative maintenance. You'd be investing in um, new innovations on that, that engine itself or that, you know, conveyor belt, whatever it is that you, you had if, you, if it were a robot. So the human being is so much more valuable. It's where creative thought happens, innovation, some of the best ideas that companies will ever have that are strategic leaps into the future are going to come from their own people. So to not invest in the health of that individual is a bit baffling. So just to care first, um, know your data. I mean, that's companies like ours. Our whole impetus was to be able to create access to information to give you transparency into what is happening in your population so that you can get in front of uh, that problem. Invest in it before it becomes an issue. Invest in the people uh, because, you know, people at the end of the day, I mean, we, we're in a nearly full employment economy. People can go to work anywhere they want. Yeah. So wouldn't you rather go to work for somebody that cares about you? Uh, it's, to me, it's not that hard. Invest in the people and we'll, the money will always work itself out. I love it. So let's pivot a little bit to, um, talking about, we'll say leadership and business principles in general. Um, in your opinion, what do you think makes a great leader? And you could identify maybe one, two, or three characteristics. Um, I think the hardest thing for entrepreneurial leaders to do is to hire great people and to get out of the way. Um, that's been my biggest learning curve in the last six years. And the one that I think I've done a good job of in the last several is to hire fantastic people 
and to get out of their way. Uh, so that that's number one. I mean, I it, it would be um, trite to just say honesty and integrity, but I think in today's world, honesty and integrity is um, unfortunately ones that we need to bring back up. Um, so when when you if you if you hire someone that can come in and do a job, but they're going to do it in a dishonest way or even a somewhat gray uh, way, um, you will pay for it um, for decades to come. So honesty and integrity is a is a trait that I wish I didn't have to say that, but it's something that I think is just imperative. What's the, I can't think of the right word, but it's just, it's paramount, um, honesty, integrity, um, and then just choosing to do what's right. Um, at the end of the day, there, you, you will have good decisions that you will have to make between good and good. Um, and knowing what good looks like takes, make, takes hiring the right people that, that know what that looks like. I agree. What is your favorite health fitness tech? Or like health tech? or Well, well, Springbuck, of course. Sure, that but like was a softball. Or like... <laughs> uh, my my favorite health tech. You know, I don't I don't know. I'm I am a cutting edge tech thinker. I think I, I, at least I think of myself that way. So I can't think of anything that uh, I read. I listen. Um, there's not anything that comes to mind that I'd say this is my favorite thing because the minute I do it's going to be disrupted by the next new, awesome, you know, innovation. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I don't have a better answer for you there. All good. And if you were to recommend uh, one book to our audience, um, it could be even about this particular space or just in general, what would it be? My team knows me as someone that's an avid reader. I'm, I read seven to 10 books, books a month. So to name one is tough. I'd say the, the best one for entrepreneurs is the e-myth. Uh, by Michael Gerber, I'd say that's that's one um, th- that's a go-to. Um, Energy Boss is one I've just recently read that I think is just fantastic for um, for leaders and understanding their team. Um, How to Build an A Team is another one um, for leaders looking to um, build out good teams. Um, there's also a Trillion Dollar Coach, which was uh, a great book on mentorship. Um, and talking about team over the the individual contributor. So there's a couple that I mean I can rattle off more, but those are, are several that I would I'd say are just go tos. That's enough to add to the list, I think, for me and and for the audience. 